Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people and how to apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. You can learn more about the program and our church when you visit walkintruth.com. Now, here's Pastor Michael's teaching in Isaiah chapter 47 called See the God's Fall. Okay, good evening, and open your Bible, please, to Isaiah. We've been talking about Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormonism, and I've mentioned to you on a couple different occasions that Isaiah chapters 40 through 48 is God calling out the false gods of the nations and basically saying, in no uncertain terms, I am God and there is no God before me, beside me, after me, I am it. And in chapter 47 of Isaiah tonight, we are going to get a look at the other side of that. What we're going to be able to see tonight is what man says about himself when he eliminates the God of the Bible out of the equation. One of the themes, if you think about the book of Isaiah, is Come to me all, all the ends of the earth and be saved. There's no savior besides me. So God is not only making an exclusive claim to deity, but he's also claiming to be the only savior. But the contrast with that, or the other side of that, is man trying to save himself. And whenever man tries to save himself, he must do something that's rather frightening and blasphemous. He must deify himself. In order for man to save himself, he must put himself on a God status. He must make himself his own God, his own savior. And this is really the heart of idolatry because much of the world is really not atheistic as we might think. Much of the world is religious, but a lot of those religions push themselves in an area where it becomes about works-oriented righteousness. That is, I'm going to save myself. And often those religions talk about the fact or imply the fact or, or even state it outright that you are a God or you will become a God. And so in chapter 47, we're going to get an interesting look at the other side of this. God's been saying, I'm the only one. There's no one beside me. But tonight you're going to hear man say that. And that's what's really intriguing about this text. But before we go there, since we haven't been in Isaiah uh, for a little bit, I want to connect Isaiah 46 with 47. And I'm just going to read it because it so ministers to me, but it's it's also uh, a nice contrast with uh, Babylon. You're going to see what God says to Israel after he uh, mocks the gods of Babylon, and then you're going to see what he says to Babylon. But before we do that, let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for tonight, and I want to thank you for the worship and the precious people that have come tonight. We want you to be our priority, Lord, but more than that, the only way revival is going to happen in this world and in our hearts is if heaven touches earth. And Lord, we can do anything that we think we can do about programs and um, bullet point systems and self-help books and whatever else, but... Revival is not going to come unless you come down and touch. And so that's our cry. That's my simple cry tonight. That you uh, would come to this place in power, in grace, in truth, in authority, with your healing touch. 
that you would touch our lives in such a way that we'd be stirred and that we would say, surely God is in this place. Would you move in our city, through our families, in this nation? And Lord, as we look at these uh, texts tonight, may you just stir our hearts to love and good deeds and to love you more. In Jesus' name, amen. Bell has bowed down, 46.1. Nebo stoops over. Their images are consigned to the beasts and the cattle. The things that you carry are burdensome. A load for the weary beast. I want you to keep those ideas in mind about weariness and burdens connected to false gods. They stooped over, speaking of the false gods, they have bowed down together. They could not rescue the burden, but have themselves gone into captivity. Isaiah 46.3. Listen to me, O house of Jacob. That's another name for Israel. And all the remnant of the house of Israel, you who have been born by me from birth and have been carried from the womb, even to your old age, I, God speaking, shall be the same. And even to your graying years, I shall bear you. I have done it. I shall carry you. And I shall bear you and I shall deliver you. To whom would you liken me and make me equal and compare me that we should be alike? Those who lavish gold from the pure from the purse and weigh silver on the scale hire a goldsmith and make it into a god. They bow down, indeed they worship it. They lift it upon the shoulder and carry it. They set it in its place and it stands there. It does not move from its place. Though one may cry to it, it cannot answer. It cannot deliver him from his distress. Remember this, verse 8, and be assured. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things long past. For I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is no one like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things which have not been done, saying, my purpose will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. Calling a bird of prey from the east, and that speaks of Cyrus the king, the man of my purpose from a far country. Truly I have spoken, truly I will bring it to pass. I have planned it, surely I will do it. Listen to me, you stubborn-minded, who are far from righteousness. I bring near my righteousness, it is not far off. And my salvation will not delay, and I will grant salvation in Zion and my glory for Israel. Come down, 47.1. Sit in the dust, O virgin daughter of Babylon. Sit on the ground without a throne, O daughter of the Chaldeans, for you shall no longer be called tender and delicate. Now, after God intersperses this uh, great encouragement to the people of Israel and his faithfulness and really mocks the gods of Babylon, the false gods, the, the idols. What he does now is he begins really what would be considered by scholars a funeral song. He's really uh, singing or depicting the end of Babylon 
The, the bird of prey mentioned, notice in verse 11 of 46, coming from the east is actually the Persian king um, Cyrus, and God will use him as his shepherd or his instrument. If you look at 4428, skip back 4428 in your Bible. It is God that calls Cyrus the king. And remember, this is written before Cyrus was ever born. 44.28 says, It is I who says of Cyrus, that he's the king of Persia, he is my shepherd. He will perform all my desire. And he declares of Jerusalem, she will be built. Remember, Jerusalem is in ruins. The people have been in captivity. And of the temple, the house of God, your foundation will be laid. And so Babylon now is uh, being sung to, and God is singing of its demise. Babylon, if you're a student of the Bible, appears again in the last book of the Bible. It actually appears in the book of Revelation. And in chapters 17 and 18 of Revelation, Babylon pictures the religious system of the world and the economic system of the world. And Babylon is really a type of the last day's world system. The religion of the world and the economic system of the world, the business of the world, if you will, will both fall. So you might want to write down Revelation 17 and 18 uh, for chapter 47, which we'll talk about in a moment. But God declares, come down and sit in the dust, O virgin daughter of Babylon. That's just really another name for the whole of Babylon or the city of Babylon. He says in verse 1 of 47, sit on the ground, notice, without a throne. So first of all, you get a picture of Babylon being dethroned. She is now sitting in the dust of the ground. Whenever someone would sit in the dust of the ground, it was really a sign of mourning. She's been kicked off her throne. She was on her high place, if you will. She was thinking that she was all that. No one was ever going to do anything to knock her off her throne. But indeed, she will be knocked off and be in the dust. We used to go down to the beach years ago and go up on the lifeguard towers and we'd play king of the hill. This was when I was young and my knees weren't as damaged as they are now. And we'd get up there and our buddies and we'd see who the last man standing on the top of the lifeguard tower would be. And there was some, some brutal happenings up there, I must tell you. But when you were the king uh, up there, it was cool. But when you ate some sand, it was not so cool. You were definitely humbled. And now this virgin daughter of Babylon, she seems to be in this place of privilege and honor. She's a picture of an idolatrous culture. Now she is knocked down. She will no longer be called, end of verse 1, tender and delicate. Now those words uh, don't seem to be fit be uh, befitting of a major world empire you know who who had all this power and all this royal these royal buildings and the one of the seven wonders of the world the hanging gardens and all this king nebuchadnezzar dominating much of the known world but now she is called notice this kind of her attitude she was tender and delicate but she'll no longer be called that uh, scholars, uh, I've read a little bit on this, and they, they think that the language here depicts Babylon as a pampered, self-indulgent, spoiled girl who always gets her way. Now, she is the one being knocked off the throne. It's, the picture is kind of like this queen on a throne who's always having people fan her. Give me another grape. Where are those people with that soup? <laughs> you know? 
that kind of thing. And when you see somebody like that, you think, you know what? That person thinks that the whole universe just revolves around them. And they just, it's got to be one of the ugliest things in the world to see. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. Walk in Truth has more content for you to listen to with our mini-sodes A Step Closer, where Pastor Michael Lance and others on the Walk in Truth team discuss topics and questions about life from a Christian perspective. You'll also get a chance to get to know the team. We have just celebrated Easter, so the first series is on the resurrection. So if something is that, that's written down reflects poorly on what is being described or what is being reported on, if that reflects poorly... That lends to its credibility. Yes. Because normally we say, well, the writers are biased. Regardless, we're not just talking about the New Testament. Any writer's biased, they want to get their point of view across. But what shows their objectivity or attempt to be objective is when they include information or facts that reflect poorly on themselves or the narrative they're trying to push. Yes. And, and so let's take a step further towards that. So when the women go to the apostles who are supposed to be the brave followers of Christ, right. they say... The, the women have lost their minds, to paraphrase. They do. They're just crazy tales. They they don't believe it, which is another embarrassment yeah. because, of course, the, the documents go on to say that Christ is risen and it becomes crystal clear. But the, the way that it, this is written down, and we believe it corresponds exactly to what happened, is that they don't believe. They have no faith. To listen to the Walk in Truth minisodes a step closer, follow Walk in Truth on your favorite podcast app like Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, and more. Again, follow Walk in Truth on your favorite podcast app. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance right here on Walk in Truth. It's got to be one of the ugliest things in the world to see. Now, we see it with babies, because in the high chair, they do think that they're the center of the universe. And those of you who are young parents uh, are going through this, you know, you give them, you mix up the little baby food, and you say, okay, little Johnny, you're going to love this, right? And whack, they throw it on. You never see that in the commercials when you're thinking about having a child. It's always so wonderful. The sun is shining. The birds are chirping. But when an adult is sitting up there in their high chair, And they're doing that kind of business. Man, it's got to be one of the saddest things in the world. People are, oh, are you going to be okay? People are waiting on them. Well, all of a sudden, the virgin daughter, the pampered, spoiled girl on the throne has been dethroned. She's sitting in the dust, mourning. What happened to my throne? She's been kicked off her throne. Notice, take the millstones, verse 2, and grind meal. This would be um, what would happen to female slaves in captivity. Remove your veil, notice, strip off the skirt, uncover the leg, cross the rivers. Now remember, Cyrus became the tool of Almighty God to remove his people from Babylonian captivity. This is our... uh, Secular history, this is what happened. Babylon invaded Israel in 586 BC. They uh, brought them into a 70-year captivity. Cyrus, the king of Persia, was the one who overran uh, Babylon and delivered the Jewish people and gave them the edict to return back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. So this is verified in secular history, and this is what took place. And in that taking place, the Medes and the Persians took over 
in the empires of world history depicted in Daniel 2 and other places. And what happened was Babylon went into captivity. And here you have a picture of captivity. The millstones and grinding the meal is the work of the female slave largely. The removing of the veil, the stripping off of the skirt, the uncovering of the leg, the crossing of the river into captivity is the picture here. Customarily, uh, nations that took captive peoples, slaves, would undress them and sometimes they would be walking naked. And if you uh, saw Schindler's List, I think that you will begin to understand the shame and the callousness with which people treated conquered slaves. And you would do a march, usually in that shameful position, and you were just dominated. You were conquered. And God says your nakedness will be uncovered Your shame, verse 3, also will be exposed. I will take vengeance, says God, and will not spare a man. Now you will see later that God does this because even though Babylon had become a tool of discipline in his hand, he expected them to treat his people with some sense of dignity. Even the the biblical... um, idea of even war, we've gotten a lot of our ideas, our ideas from biblical theology, and even the way we treat people in wartime comes from the Bible. There should be dignity given, for example, to the aged, and there's a way that you treat captured peoples and so forth. And God says, Babylon, you didn't do that. And because you didn't do that, I'm going to uncover your nakedness, your shame. It's going to be exposed. And I will take vengeance. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. Now, in these verses, I couldn't help when I saw the words naked and uncovered and shame and being exposed and vengeance and all of this to think of the fall. Because in the fall, remember, Adam and Eve were in this perfect paradise. They were naked, but they were unashamed. And they were walking with God. God apparently walked with them in the cool of the day. And verse 4 introduces this idea, the Goel. Our Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, is his name, the Holy One of Israel. Now, the Redeemer is pictured way back in Genesis. Go to Genesis chapter 3, and I want to show you these beautiful ideas of how God comes in even after the shame of the fall. This chapter is really about the fall of Babylon, the chapter uh, 47 in Isaiah, but I want you to see how it connects to the fall of mankind. Uh, The serpent shows up, and he appears in Genesis 3, and he says in verse 5, For God knows that the day you eat uh, from the, the tree, eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Genesis 3, 6. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate, and she gave also to her husband with her, and I hope you've marked that before, Adam apparently was with her when she was being tempted. He was right there, and she handed him the fruit. He didn't step in and guard her as he should have, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them, notice, were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. And then they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And then the Lord God called to the man, to Adam, 
And he said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of thee in the garden. I was afraid. Here comes fear and shame because I was naked. And so I hid myself. Skip down to verse 15. God says to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. Her seed is a uh, early prophecy of the Messiah. He shall bruise you on the head. He's going to give a fatal blow to the serpent and you shall bruise him on the heel. I think that's a picture of the cross. It's painful, but it wouldn't be the end of his story. And then if you skip down to verse, let's see, 21. Genesis 3.21, notice what the Lord does. And the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife. And what did he do? He clothed them. You've been listening to See the Gods Fall, part one on Walk in Truth. That's Pastor Michael's teaching in Isaiah 47. If you miss any part of today's program, you can listen to part one and two when you follow Walk in Truth on the free Living Truth app or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, listen to our new mini-sodes called A Step Closer. Walk in Truth is on Apple Podcast, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Player FM, and many more. Subscribe for free to hear Pastor Michael's teachings in more books of the Bible. Now here's Pastor Michael with a final word. Well, hopefully when you run into believers, you don't run into an attitude of pride, but rather one of humility and gratitude. And if the pride of a Christian has kept you away, then let me just say that that's not conveying the heart of Christ. Now, the believer can be confident in what he or she believes, but we shouldn't be coming across arrogant. And maybe you feel like you've been pushed away from the church because of that, or you hear a Christian say, Jesus is the only way, I know I'm going to heaven, and you're like, man, that sounds arrogant. But I think what you're hearing, hopefully, you know, given the the best uh, understanding of this individual, is you're hearing a confidence in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And then, of course, you know, sometimes our world hears the idea of other gods being false gods and only the God of the Bible is the true God. And, you know, words like narrow and etc. can can come up, bigoted, whatever. But the bottom line is that God has made a way. So let's take a positive on this. The true God, all other gods are false, as we clearly see again in Isaiah 47. But the true God has made a way, and the way that he made the way is by becoming one of us and then taking the wrath that we deserved at the cross. So I hope you can see that the God of the Bible, though majestic in holiness, in beauty, in majesty, in power. Um, I mean, his understanding is beyond, it's mind-blowing. And yet at the same time, he condescends to become one of us to make a way. So please hear that as you consider, maybe you're considering the claims of Christ for the first time. Maybe you're hearing Old Testament teaching and you're, you've got some knowledge of it and you're like, well, How do I make sense of this, uh, taking it from the old to the new or uh, in a modern contemporary age? How do I understand this? The way I understand it is the true God has made a way through his son. And would you receive him today as your Lord and Savior? You know, he will bring you into the kingdom. He'll bring you into right standing with God. 
Your sin can be forgiven. You can have a new heart and a new start. It's all found in Jesus Christ, and it's an acknowledgement of who he is. Remember, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Won't you do it today? He loves you. God so loved the world, he sent his only son. He gave his son. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ today. If we can help you in any way, you can reach out to us at contact at walkintruth.com. That's contact at walkintruth.com. Hey, I want to give a shout out to our listeners listening in India, Canada, the Philippines, Singapore, and many other areas. If you're outside the United States and you've connected with us at Walk in Truth, we just want to say, hey, we're so glad that you're listening and benefiting from the Bible teaching here. We do pray that the teachings will continue to be a blessing to you and to those that you care about and love, that you'd pass them on to friends. And um, maybe you can write us a note and tell us about how you came across Walk in Truth. How did you come across the content here? Um, what's your story about coming to Christ? Hey, all of that can be shared with us, and we'd love to hear your story. It's an encouragement to us to hear about all the different nations that are listening and individuals, and we care about you. Hey, reach out to us at contact at walkintruth.com. Do it today. Contact at walkintruth.com. See you tomorrow. Remember, Walk in Truth is a listener-supported ministry. Your financial partnership helps us broadcast on this station, provide the podcast for free, and it helps us do our free apologetic events as well. Please consider becoming a monthly partner of at least $5 a month. Donate at walkintruth.com. And join us tomorrow for part two of Pastor Michael's teaching in Isaiah 47 called See the Gods Fall. I'm Mike Massaro. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Our goal is to equip you to reach out with God's truth to all people.